What's good, everybody? And hold up, hold up. I just got to hit pause on something here. Ah, my bad. What's good, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Bridge the Gap. This is the show where our goal is to bridge the gap of knowledge. And how we do this is we take very intelligent people. And I have to say, haven't seen you talk a little bit. I sincerely state very intelligent people like Mr. Mickey Fax over here. And we have them share their stories with us. And we, we just talk about their lives and we learn from that. And we extract those knowledge nuggets and we all become a little more educated and a little more understanding of the greater world of stuff. Um, as an example, today, right before the call, I learned that it, it, it it's like a, a thing to be wearing white from the Bronx. Like, I had no idea before that. So anyway, it is my pleasure to be here. My name is Holden Stefan Roy, and I'm super excited to learn from you. So before we get into it, you should know a couple of things. I learned something talking to you guys from the Bronx. You guys say this, this you know what I mean thing a lot, like in every sentence practically. The answer to your question is always almost no. I barely know what you mean. I'm kind of learning what you mean as I have these conversations more and more. So when you said yellow chair, I was like, no, I don't know what you mean, sir. I don't understand the significance of the yellow chair from the Bronx. That's the kind of stuff that we all love to learn because outside of New York, it's a little bit of a mystery, right? Like you guys are the place, but I've never even been to New York. So a lot of times we just kind of see it and it's just fucking cool. So even talking to you, to me, it's just fucking cool. Right? Like you're like this piece of history that we get to explore the life of. And like, I don't know, that's just an exciting moment for me. So thank you for coming through and doing this. We look, we're looking forward to, to, to getting into your story. Um, my first question is a little convoluted, but if you bear with me, I think you, you might be able to answer it pretty well. And I look forward to that. So one day I'm watching my girlfriend washing these dishes and she's playing this black eyed peas song and it's like that I got a feeling you know whatever and she's like dancing around and she's doing her thing so I'm thinking to myself I'm like yo I remember when we was in the clubs and shit dancing and doing our little jumpy jump to that track and everybody was having a good time but now people are doing chores to this music right like that means like music if you look at it over time today's club hits are kind of like you know tomorrow's chores music and whatnot and then that brought me back to being like super young I'm like, my mom's, she would have like the disco going and my dad's, he would have the Zeppelins going and there was all in the tapes and stuff. So I was thinking about that. And then as I started talking to people, I realized, yo, there's the, the, the car ride music and then there's the sibling music. And then depending on if it's the vinyls and if it's the tapes or if it's even if you're young, the YouTubes. And it's all very different when you're young. But what's really important is that with your musical journey, it doesn't really start when you start picking things. It actually started when you were like five, four, whatever it was, and people are doing chores around you and life is happening around you. And there's a whole bunch of sounds and distributions going on in your life. And I was hoping you could start us off by talking about like a little, little youthful Mickey Fax and what the world of music was like around in his, in his life. And hold up real quick, Mick, take us sideways so we can get a better angle of you. Yeah. No worries. <clears throat> Okay. Um, well, first and foremost, thank you guys for having me today on your platform to share my story and to, you know, hopefully let people gain some knowledge and some insight on, you know, my journey. So I believe my earliest memories of music was probably, probably before I was born. So the way the story goes is 
I was in my mother's womb and my father was rapping to me in the womb. Um, so this is 1982 because I was born, I'm an I'm a 80s baby. So my father was rapping to me in the womb. So my musical journey started before I even took my first breath. Wow. Um, from then, you know, obviously, you know, uh, went to church, so I heard music there, but I didn't really understand it. Um, I was eight years old and there was a record player and my cousin had Ain't No Half Stepping by Big Daddy Kane on the record player. He might've been about 88. If I can just interrupt you, that's like the second question. So before we get there, I'm just curious about like what your parents were into or just, you know, if there Uh, were other stuff that was happening. Cause that stuff actually kind of seems to tie into what you end up creating is what we've learned as we talk about it a bit more. If you, if you recall it or not, if you want to share. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I think every, in every black and uh, people of colors home on Sundays, mom's is cleaning up and she got seventies music playing and eighties music playing. So that's probably where that came from. Um, but aside from that, I can't really pick from anything uh, in terms of uh, an actual moment or an actual particular time, but I'm pretty sure my mother played specific music while uh, she was cleaning, doing chores. You know what I mean? So that's probably mm-hmm. what you know, that's the question that you're probably looking for. I'm just curious because you know what? Nobody answers it the same and it kind of just gives flavor. Honestly, I don't have like a set expectation for these things. People have their, their unique experiences to. Well, you're the first person to ever talk about being in the womb, right? So that's a brand new first right here on this, the history of what I'm doing. So that's crazy. Like just that alone was so interesting to hear. And I'm not saying that facetiously. It's like, I don't know how you have that connection or even how that's a thing. But the fact that that's so meaningful to you is interesting to, I think, everyone. We even got a comment on my side that just popped up and said amazing as you were telling that. Because that shit's super interesting to people, but then if the rest of it's not that significant, you also said you went to church. Look, I had a I had church in my youth. I can understand how that can add a secular versus not element to life and things like that that make it a little different. So, to me, when you mean just that little sentence added a, a flavor of context into your story that maybe other people didn't see. So don't worry, we're just getting calibrated with these easy questions. It's the beginning part of it, you know. So let's I hope go. So. Let's go to the the record player then. Um, when you I think you said it was Ano half stepping on vinyl, on and you yeah, were with a cousin. Kane. Yeah, my cousin played Big Daddy Kane. Ain't no half stepping was on the vinyl. It was on the record player, and as a kid, you know, and I I could kind of see that happening now with my son. He's just interested in everything and you know anything that's around. So, you know, my my I'm usually a tidy person, but when you have kids, it just gets. <laughs> Like, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I saw it as techno, you know, it was tech, right? A video player was tech in the 80s. So, I'm pressing play on it, and I made Big Daddy Kane sound like a chipmunk. And I thought that was cool. Because, you know, you're thinking about voices. I've never heard anybody speak in that kind of voice unless it was a chipmunk. So I made sure I, I made Big Daddy King sound like a chipmunk. My cousin was like, don't you dare do that to my record. You're fucking out. You don't listen to it like that. You listen to it like this. And that was my introduction into hip hop. That was like 88, 89. And was that like the first music you were ever introduced to? Or was that just hip hop in general? That was uh, 
I, I would believe that was the first time I interacted with music. So I have a question. Were you like born and raised in the Bronx or are you from somewhere else? I was born in Harlem, but I was raised in the Bronx. So I was born in Harlem, but from like three years old till about, I want to say, 18 years old, I was in the, I was in the Bronx. So I'm a, I'm a Bronx guy. I'm a Bronx guy with family in Harlem. So it was, I couldn't kill I can't claim Harlem. You know what I'm saying? But I, I so I claim the Bronx. Wherever you went to school at, that's where you, that's from in my Ooh. mind. So that's how it's decided. So for you, like that might be like a matter of fact, Dan, but for guys like us and the people watching and whatever, cause there's also Golden Jenny from Norway. Just keep in mind, there's a lady in Norway right now who's watching this on our side. So. We don't know all those things inherently, so thank you for telling us that. So where you went to school at is what really counts. Yeah, like if you if you if you're from, let's say uh, for example, I was from Florida, um, and then my mom moved upstate to. I was born in Florida. My mom moved upstate to New York, and then like from like second grade to like high school, you know, I'm in New York. I'm from New York. I'm no longer from Florida. Wherever mm -hmm. you went to school and people can verify you, that's where you're from, like period. You know what I'm saying? People got to be able to verify you from school and from your neighborhood. That's what that's what we know. And I can't be verified from, from the homies in Harlem because I didn't go to school with them and I wasn't in the neighborhood every day. But they saw me in the projects in Castle Hill. They saw me in the projects in Soundview. They saw me in the projects in Monroe. They saw me in the projects in Bronxdale. I went to Stevenson High School. I went to IS-131 in the Bronx. So I am a Bronx. I'm from the Bronx, basically. Like, I can't claim nothing else. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really fucking interesting. I mean, I really appreciate that. Like, to me, that's straight up a knowledge nugget. Like, that's like a thing we do here. We look for those. And I feel like... Well, it's because it, 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 I'm pretty sure a lot of hip hop is gonna have this core ideology based on where it comes from, right? Yes, so it kind of yes, branches yeah. out from there. So to somebody like me, that DMX skit where he's like talking about neighborhoods and stuff, all of a sudden has more context than it had previously because that never really meant a whole lot to me. Like I mean, I'm in Montreal; it's kind of squished. Everything's kind of like an hour away, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, so. You get into music at that point. Are you like watching hip hop kind of come to life in your neighborhood as well? Is that a thing that's also happening around you? So this is the late 80s. So, you know, crack is very prevalent. And, you know, going to the to the park, school parks, I remember seeing needles on the floor. I remember seeing color tops. You know, I remember uh, playing with the homies you know, we weren't. We, I guess, we could call each other homies, but we was, you know, playing in the in the in the, in the puddles, you know, with the fire hydrants in the summer, in the uh, <laughs> in the projects. We would play basketball in the hallway. If it was too cold outside, we were playing in the hallway. So the light on each end of the hallway was the basket. So we would try to dunk on each other like that. Ain't nothing like peeing in the staircase, peeing in the elevator, running around, playing tags, stealing these bikes. We did all in, in, in the Bronx and in Harlem. And that's basically how, you know, that's how I grew up. That's how I grew up. And that was hip hop. That was hip hop. Taking something that was nothing and making it into something. That was hip hop. Seeing the trains filled with graffiti, you know, 
going down to 42nd Street, seeing that it wasn't Disney-fied, it was porn, and it was, it was drug addicts. Like, that was hip-hop. That was what hip-hop was. So I saw all of that. That was what New York was about at that time. And that's, like, just so that people understand, a, a really young guy seeing this, like, that's the environment. Yeah. I think it's really important to capture that kind of stuff because, I mean, personally, I know a lot of people don't know a lot of stuff about that. So thank you so much for sharing that. Just feel always feel free to talk about that kind of stuff here because I'm super fascinated about learning it. It helps us all get more context. And I think context is really important to create change in the world. Um so yeah, uh, as far as that goes, so you're young. Uh, are you like instantly interested in creating the music or are you also just like, are you a fan for a while before you start to desire to create? I'm a fan for a very long time from 88 until about 95, I was a fan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was cool with the kids in the, in the neighborhood, but in school it was a little different, even though I was going to my zone school. There were still kids who weren't from around that area that would go and they would sometimes be more popular than me. So I went to IS-131, which was an intermediate school. I would say around the sixth or seventh, sixth grade, maybe eighth grade, sixth grade, eighth grade between those times. Um, I remember Bone Thugs and Harmony was out. And not only was Bone Thugs out, so this is a story, right? Not only was Bone Thugs out, but so was Family Matters. So I wore glasses. So I was compared to Urkel. So I always had to fight because I kept getting called Urkel. So I was always fighting. I was always getting in trouble. So I had that component and then I had Bone Thugs, right? So there was times when cats didn't want to rock with me and I wanted friends. So what I did was using my marketing mind even at that age, I would take Bone Thugs and Harmony's music from East 1999, that tape, and I would go home and I would write each of the lyrics out. And there would be a lot of play, stop, rewind, play, stop, rewind, play, stop, rewind, until I wrote every lyric down from Bone Thugs and Harmony on that project. Then I recited it. So this took about maybe a week, two weeks. And when I came into school, Finally, after memorizing everything, I was the only person who was able to understand and recite what Bone Thugs was saying. Because at that time, rapping fast was like a novelty. Nobody was rapping fast. You know what I mean? I was gonna interrupt you to, to speak on that specifically. Like that back then was very, you know, <clears throat> New York City was not necessarily the most accepting of uh mm. other regions. And right. If our radio was not very accepting, though they were, right? Our radio would play the big hits, right? But it's not like you would catch the radio playing King T or DJ Quick, you know? Um, And so even more so in the streets, in the schools, that energy is reflected even more. And, like, if you're the guy that is into different uh, type of hip-hop from other regions... You kind of looked at like, what? Like, what? She listening to that for, you know? Mm-hmm. But then when you can do something like actually spit all the lyrics to something like Bone Thugs, which a lot of the people I was growing up around when Bone Thugs came out, it was just like, what the fuck are they saying? They didn't understand a, a, a word that they were saying. So to be the guy that be able to break that down for people, 
got to be a valuable asset back then. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then you got to think, you know, um, and and to 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 add to uh, to add to his credit, you got to think they were like they got they were out before East 1999. So East 1999, they had Thuggish Ruggish Bone. You know, they had this joint with Easy E for the love of money, but they weren't playing that in New York. It was just being played on MTV. Mm. You had to catch the video on MTV. So when First of the Month came out, First of the Month was their real big hit. And they played that on New York radio and they played it on MTV. So I wanted to know the words to it and I wanted to use that to get friends in school. So I was able to go and, and recite Bone Thugs and Harmony in school. And it was like, what? It was unbelievable, you know, for like an 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid to be reciting Bone Thug. I kind of, I feel that a lot, actually, because, I mean, it's a little bit in the future, but I was like 12 years old. Granted, the internet existed, so I was printing out lyrics and basically trying to do the same thing to be cool in school. I'm not even going to lie. Straight up, I relate to that. Like, just, I was great to listen to for me. Uh what was Bone Thugs's old group name? Is a comment we just got. I don't know what it is personally. So Bone Thugs and Harmony. Yeah. Like what was their yeah, old group? What was that? The, was the group? That's always been their group name. Yeah, that was always that was always their group name, I believe. Right? Yeah. I don't. Am I bugging? No, I don't know. I'm I mean, saying. the when I know the the Bone Thugs that I've known has always just okay. been Bone Thugs and Harmony, but I'm yeah. pretty sure maybe. Back when, you know, they always tell that famous story of like before they got they before they met Easy, being in Cleveland, you right. know, and wrapping around the uh garbage can or some shit, you know, the the thing on fire. Think right. maybe maybe back then they probably, you know, we've all had it's rap bad. names. It's My original rap name was uh, Carnage Page. That's crazy. I can't even I can't even I don't even want to know that story. That sounds fucking Sounds like you ripped it from Marvel. So, <laughs> um, <fun> with... <laughs> fair enough, but I really like that. Um, it also makes me appreciate your ethic, right? Because I've tried to transcribe lyrics. That's something I've done as an album reviewer. As in, I've sat there, and I know that on a 10 track, it could take 10 to 12 hours to like actually get the lyrics down, and then maybe you're wrong. So just to actually do that... Like I personally empathize with the level of effort you were displaying to like put the work in to build something off of that, and that's young. Not everyone does things when they're young like that. So big respect. That's how you fucking win, people. You start off, you find a way to make yourself pop off a little bit, and then you put the work in to excel and do. Like you, you saw an opportunity and you took advantage. That's crazy cool. Anybody yep. can replicate that. Um. So yeah, that's cool. What happens after that then? So I guess you learn how to rap because you're learning all these Bone Thug songs, right? So after that, I uh, I can now at this point flow fast. That means I can flow s s slower. So that was my introduction into reciting raps and 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 learning the science and the technique of rapping. Um, I started to do parody rap in like nine eight. Like I would take like a, a famous Jay-Z song and then do like misogynistic rhymes. So like instead of, and at this time Sporty Thieves was out so they did the No, no, no Pigeons record. So Pigeons was a big thing in, in, in high school. So. Elaborate, please. Elaborate. Okay. This. So this I know elaborate. about, but These he's people, right. You should, you yeah, should they elaborate. Don't, they don't like, 
Like, that's something that we, like, I, I know Marlon Brando. You know, I know, I know what's, I know what's up. I remember, I remember when Sporty Thieves dropped right before No, before No Pigeons, they dropped uh, Jackin' for Beats on a mm -hmm. Cool Kid mixtape. And yep. I went to junior high with, Cole, with Cool Kid. Shouts to Cool Kid, BX shit all day, you know? And so, you know, Sporty Thieves are really, really respected to people who know of Sporty Thieves. But I don't think most people know about Sporty Thieves. Okay, so let me break that down. Okay, so TLC dropped a record called No Scrubs. Um, and before No Scrubs, to, to add to his uh, point, Sporty Thieves had an album called Street Cinema. And they dropped Street Cinema, and it was comprised of three guys. And a lot of times, people tried to call them a quote-unquote knockoff locks because the locks was three guys, and these guys were from Yonkers, too. But they were a completely different style of, of MCs. So yeah, Marlon Brando, Big Dubes, and King Kirk. They put out Street Cinema. Street Cinema did real well. Um, they had two singles off of that. You ain't getting nada. I think that was the record was called Cheapskate or something like that, or nada, something like that. So that was the record. And TLC dropped No Scrubs, which was dissing men, not having their own car, not having money. So yeah, it's, um, a, it's a good sign though. So Sporty Thieves took no scrubs and made no pigeons which was a response to them and when they did that that song blew up big time and it was like a response for for, for men and there like i saw i saw the reaction from that so i took the record chica and i did pigeons what's my motherfucking name what's they motherfucking name pigeons and who they running with how them falcons <laughs> So, and mind you, I was like 16 years old doing this, right? And I would change the lyrics around from what Jay said, and I would put my own lyrics in it, making fun of girls and calling them pigeons, the same way that Sporty Thieves did it. And I did that, and I performed in the school. And then my man, Tommy Flight, he would do the beats on the lunch table. We would do that. That's how it came about. So I was more of a performer, songwriter kind of guy doing parody, making the girls laugh in class, making well, the girls laugh in school, same thing with the guys. They, things came through just to hear pigeons. They were like, yo, we want to hear that pigeon shit. So we would do pigeons in the lunchroom every day. Dude, that is incredible. And that's smart. Like that is like, so I know the pigeon song because that shit managed to hit Montreal, my high school and whatever. Like I, I knew that shit. Like we all, I just grew up knowing it. So you it really did manage to spread like in a pre-internet kind of way, right? Like so that shit was huge. But like hearing you go, yo, that worked, right? Because that worked so well, I heard about it. Um, and then you were able to like, and again, at 16, I, th I think sometimes people don't realize what it means to be 16 and being this innovative. I appreciate it when you say that, like at your age. Like to me, that's like, bro, I fucking feel lazy. When I hear people talk right. about how productive they were at 16. So for me, that's how it comes up. I want you to at least know that I'm getting it. But um, it really is like incredible. It's it's so smart. It's so ahead of its time. And that is something that has been associated with you so much. The idea that you are ahead of your time. And I feel it. 
I was listening to um, this is just my opinion. I was listening to a lot of your early stuff a little bit because I feel like if you're gonna, I don't, I didn't really know your music that much before this interview, so I'm I'm doing my homeworks. First of all, that uh-huh. fucking NERD thing is incredible. Oh. That is an incredible. Th- we'll get there, I'm sure, but I just want to give you the big ups now. But what I realized is you had that like what Royce to five nine is winning is up for a Grammy for like you were doing that vibe, like then. And I was like, holy shit, like, I fucks with this so heavy. So I will inevitably hear all of your music. So if we ever do And then when, two... he told, when he said that to me, uh, then let him know, like, how many, like, whether they be small, right? Like, to, to, to your average hip-hop head who isn't from New York City, like, Holden's been learning a lot of things um, in this journey of, of this show that we're doing together, right? Because he's from right. Montreal, grows up in Canada. I'm in the Bronx, you know what I mean? So, like, I say nah mean a lot. <laughs> He's put me on to the fact that he don't nah mean. <laughs> and nah. I understand, right? And so, like, I explain, like, a lot of things that he started to understand, like, the journey that we go, that we do with, like, fashion and things oh that, gosh, and yeah. these other things that are kind of, like, really, really important to us. You know what I mean? And, uh, those are things that also you have led the forefront and things that right now I was explaining to him that before, you know, essentially before uh, Pharrell, before uh, before Lupe, before everybody was doing tight jeans thing, Mickey was out here tight jeans in and out. You know what I mean? Was with the skinnies before everybody, before anybody. Um, it was a lot of things that you were at the forefront of that a lot of people just aren't aware that's fair eh? because i can think of pictures of you i've I've, kind of like watched snippets of interviews that's kind of how i prepped this i wanted to see like you know and then you get to see like the fashion has been mad consistent but now that i think about it you really like are on that shit in like the 2000s and it becomes like the hottest shit ever and you were like really like there's video evidence of you being that in like 2007 and shit before it's cool yeah, I mean, you know, there's, you know, we 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 jumped ahead a lot. Yeah, um, no, we'll, just, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll come back. back. But just the just the co-sign what Flacco was saying, man. Um, like, I don't think people. First of all, just being from the Bronx and being able to, it's just it's overwhelming to know that like continuing the tradition of starting stuff and being that first person to do certain things is just unbelievable right because and i try not to really say it too much and you know there, there are people like flacco who, who champion that right because if i say it like i look crazy but every time i go up to sway you know sway is the one who who who, who drills it home like y'all wasn't wearing skinny jeans when mickey was wearing it he was the one that made it cool he was the one taking the, the tomatoes he was the one Niggas was calling a hipster rapper. He was the one wearing supers when niggas wasn't wearing supers. He was the one wearing Y3. He was on Supreme. He was on Rocksmith. He was on everything that guys is wearing. Had True Religion jeans on in 2003 when people started wearing it in 08 because of, of Jim Jones. So, like, you want to talk about fashion and even talking about the music style sampling NERD in 2006 when people were sampling Pharrell and the Neptunes. We were sampling NERD rapping off of that in 06. 
right? And just and just telling my story. Like we was doing that early on. I couldn't sell, I couldn't get on mixtapes because I didn't have the money to get on the mixtapes. I couldn't pay K-Slay X amount of dollars. I couldn't pay Smack X amount of dollars to get on a DVD. I couldn't pay Cutmaster C. I couldn't pay uh, Flex. So what we did, we went to the internet. We went on MySpace and we put our stuff up on MySpace and that's how we got noticed. So let this, I just wanna let you know something, Holden, just so you know, just so you know how how innovative we were back then, right? Just to co-sign with Flacco with Sam. Love it. The, the first show, the very first show I ever did at Facts, I was in China. My guy. Okay, we'll build to that. That's amazing. Let's go back then to high school. But not, like- New York, not New York City. The first show I ever did was in China. They paid me and four of my friends to fly to China so I could perform. Like, that's how international I was. And this was 2007. I didn't have a record deal. I didn't have, I had maybe two, I had two mixtapes out. And I didn't, I was never on New York radio. I was never. New York shows, and I had a, I had, I flew, f- bruh. I didn't even have a passport. My friends didn't have passports. They bought us tickets before we had passports, and they flew us out to China. That's some Bronx shit, man. My guy, it's like... gonna be a lot of front. It's gonna be a lot of fronting on this interview. I'm feeling. I feel like I got a front. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause listen, though, it's not. It's not yeah. just the. It's not just the like that again, right? Like this is. Like, I'm going to fully put the battery in your back because, like, it's not... Like, look, when he's talking about these things, these aren't minute things. These aren't things that just any old person can happenstance upon to do. And to touch back on the fashion thing real quick, like, people would think it's something small, insignificant, and they don't realize, like, Kid Cudi got to be on a HBO TV show that was built around jeans and skinnies when when after pe- after Mickey does it, after people, you know what I mean? Jump on the wave yeah, in man. New York City, people it's- that are close to the ground, and then they start seeing, and then Kid Cudi's working at, um what, what was it he was working at? Uh, Bape? Working at Bape. Yeah, he was working at Bape, and I'm pretty sure he sees a young Mickey and you know what I mean? Then he starts seeing people probably who have seen Mickey wearing skinnies. So then they start wearing skinnies. And then Cuddy seeing it work, work at bait. Now he starts doing it. Then you got these guys who realize they think to themselves that Cuddy's the one at the forefront of it. And they include him in an HBO TV show like Saigon was included in Entourage. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's not to take away anything from Cuddy or anything like that. It's just about a matter of, for those that do remember, it's important for us to document these things Big while facts. we can, while we're here. Just on top of that, you're fucking interesting. Do your thing. Nobody, nobody's doubting it. We're, we're like, you got to fly to Tokyo. Like, blah, blah. Like, it just sounds cool. Just, just keep doing you. It's fucking dope. Um, but yeah, I'm real like excited to talk to you because in, in a sense, um, I don't know. I, I watched you talk and I like how you think. I like the fact that in high school you're already dropping like big time knowledge nuggets on us and that you really 
have accomplished a lot of things you're you're a person that people have heard of like there's a, a lady i'm interviewing from montreal next week and she wrote a track on one of your beats because yo you were like this shit in 2012 to her or some shit something like that i'm like wow like like there's just these people all over not like everybody but the people who like you like you a lot yeah so um love that's love if we go back to to high school then and you're you're like uh learning the bone thugs etc you get the spark for learning how to rap um i guess what what happens next for you in that era what's going on? do you like perform at all like what's outside of the lunchroom tables so, like like bigger stages and stuff so after that um i uh i got into the to the to the battle scene in, in, in school and i almost quit rap because i got killed i went into a battle with my notebook out you know what I'm saying? Mm. And uh, I didn't know the rules of battling at that time. This is like nine, eight, nine, nine, seven, nine, eight. And I, uh, you're supposed to memorize your rhymes. I didn't realize that, you know. So I got booed out the lunchroom. And I remember my man Jay Money was like, "Yo, you got a talent, man. You just got to memorize your rhymes." So that summer, I went and I memorized my rhymes and I learned. I taught myself how to freestyle. And when I did that, I came back to school. I was the best rapper in the school. And people would come from other schools to battle me at that time. This is like 9899. And my name was starting to buzz a lot. Um, and Remy Ma went to my school too. So, you know, and Drag On, same thing. You know what I mean? You went to school at Remy Ma? And, yeah, I went to school with Remy Ma. That's and Drag On. Cool. And then um, what's interesting is a crazy story. I battled this one kid named Blackout. Shout out to my man Blackout. Uh, he was supposed to get signed to Rough Riders. We had a crazy battle, so crazy that I got suspended for inciting a riot because I beat him so bad. <laughs> so when I came back to school, when I came back to school, the principal was like, listen, what you did was wrong. You incited a riot, but it was it was so good that we want to do something for you. So at that time, I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, look, we want to encourage what you do because you do it at such a high level. So that week, for the whole week, he told me to write a rhyme about our school basketball team. And he let me rhyme on a loudspeaker every morning for a whole week. Okay, that's fucking cool. You know what I'm saying? That is crazy. That's not the way that it was in 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 public schools in New York City. Like back then, it was just not like that. the The teachers were not like encouraging of hip hop in many ways. You know what I mean? Like right. maybe English teachers, if it was a cool English teacher, but not like a principal, not for you to like get on the loudspeaker, you know, yeah. like what? He put me, he, yeah, they put me on the loudspeaker and I rhymed every morning, every morning at like 8, well, like, 9 o'clock in the morning. That's like, that's such a crazy anecdote. For the record, that's exactly what we want here is that kind of stuff is the best. And it reminds me of Community, the TV show. And just kind of like how that's the kind of antics you would picture taking place on that show. But that's your real life. And that's fucking amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I did that. And then from there, you, you asked if I uh, performed after that, and not really, right? Like after I graduated, you know, I, I think when everyone when everyone graduates, it's 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 a couple different paths you can go into, right? You can right. either go get a job or you can go to college, or you sit around on your ass, 
you know what I'm saying? And I chose to get it. I wanted to go and get money. Okay. You know, that's just the Bronx Harlem mentality for me. So I wanted to go get money. So I went and I was doing a lot of temp jobs. So I, I sold Primerica, which didn't work out too well. Pyramid scheme bullshit. I went out and I sold Kirby vacuums. You know what I'm saying? I went to the, to the, to the, to the suburbs and tried to sell Kirby vacuums for like $800 on payment plan type shit. I tried to sell cut cold knives. I, you know what I'm saying? I like, know that one. I tried to sell cut cold. Yeah, you know that it. one? That's hilarious. I tried to sell cut I cut a penny. These are all New York City hustles. Primerica, cut coat. All these are New York City hustles. I, that if you're from New York City back then, like you were, and you were trying to get a job, and you were young, and you know they're not giving you jobs at these, you know, yeah. corporations. You know what I mean? Like this was your way to get a job, you know, and he had all of them. Honestly, yeah, every that's single crazy. one of those. The real Fox just threw in. I did cut code too. No, for real. I remember the whole pitch. We did like the forty-eight hour training session. You put up a hundo or whatever to get that training packet. Yo, that steak knife was next level. Like I remember yeah. all of this shit. <clears throat> yeah, so I did that for a little while, and then I went to Marymount College for like a semester. I said, okay, this is some bullshit. I'm not doing this no more. Then I signed up for a temp agency, and I started to go and was in the mail rooms a lot. And then this is before the internet. So I want I want people to understand before the internet, we had to go and spend 50 cent and go to buy the daily news or spend a dollar and buy the, 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 uh, the New York Times or spend a quarter and buy the post and look in the classified section to oh, find shit. jobs. So I, I, I did that for a little while. And then I finally found the job um, in the mailroom at a law firm. And this was 2002. So for two years, I was doing odd jobs until I found this law, this mailroom job in the law firm. And I was, I worked there for four years. In the first two years I worked there, um, I decided I wanted to get my own place. So I graduated from high school at 17 and I had my first apartment at 19 years old in Harlem. I was a 19 year old with my own apartment in Harlem and I had an office job because, you know, the mailroom was the office. And then I decided I wanted to go to NYU to study, uh, law right so because i was at the i was at the, i was there already i was already learning the shit anyway so i became a paralegal and i worked at that same job as a paralegal for two years and all between this i'm still using hip-hop as my hobby it's a hobby now right um so 2002 my aunt was it 2002 yes 2002 or 2003 my aunt was doing um, hair for Mona Scott. Mona Scott is uh, the, the 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 creator of Love and Hip Hop. Oh, but in two thousand, yeah, but in two thousand three, Mona Scott was managing Missy Elliott. Oh, oh, okay. I know what all of those things are. <laughs> so she hands my CD to Mona. No, no, she hands my CD to somebody who who works at who works closely with Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott hears it. She's at Electra Records, which is which was um, from Arista. And Missy Elliott wanted to sign me. So Missy Elliott had contracts uh, written up and everything for me to get signed to Arista Records, uh, Electra. So 
there was a manager that my aunt wanted me to sign with at the time. The manager didn't believe in my music. And then once he got the phone call, Electra, that these contracts was ready, then he wanted to sign me as a manager. And I was like, no, I don't want to work with you because you didn't believe in me. My aunt was furious. The deal got taken off the table. Um, I met with Mona Scott and she she was like, I can't believe Missy would want to sign you this quickly because if she heard your talent at this time, this is unbelievable. She was blown away. Um, so, and this was, again, this is Mona Scott before Love and Hip Hop. She was just, you know, doing Missy's day-to-day -day stuff. So fast forward, 2004, I meet Smoke Dizza. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I meet Smoke Dizza in 2004. He's working with Cinematic Music Group. I meet him, battling him. And we became real close. And, you know, I started doing music with Smoke Dizza and Numbers. Oh, you were already and, battling at this point? Yeah, I was battling in the streets of Harlem because I was living in Harlem at the time. Do you want to tell us and a I'm bit going about to... that? Because, man, I don't know a lot about battling in the streets of Harlem in, like, 2003. That just sounds like a really fascinating thing. So Smack DVD captured Murder Mook and uh, Jay Mills. These were the the two MCs that go back and forth spitting rhymes acapella. And Smack DVD captured that. But before Smack DVD captured it, we were running around doing the same thing in Harlem all day long, every single day, all night. And this was one of those things that just always happened. Funny story for Flacco, one day I was battling this African dude on 145th and 145th and St. Nicholas, I believe it was. I was battling them on the corner. And I didn't think anybody knew that I was battling them on the corner. So years later, years later, I was going by the name Renegade. That was my name at the time. Years later, Swave Seva tells me, yo, I was there on that corner when you was battling. That, that makes sense. Day. It's his neighborhood. He was like, I was out there. We had just finished robbing me and Ike P. We had just finished robbing somebody. And we saw you, we saw you, we saw this kid with glasses battling. And I never knew it was you until you said your name was Renegade in like 2010, 2011. And people started figuring out that Mickey Fax was Renegade. And he was like, yo, you was out there battling. So, you know, we knew about you, you know what I'm saying? So we were doing that every single night, every single day. We would go to 42nd Street and battle. Jay Mills, Shells, me, Mook, Rex, Iron Solomon, Jen. Everybody was just running the streets, getting crazy. That's how we got our name up. And it wasn't to just show we were the better battler. We wanted to get record deals. Yo, tell us a bit more about how that, why? Because, yo, you got to understand, like, this is not easy stuff to even Google. You try Googling this, you're going nowhere. I'm being real with you. So this is like a fucking treasure trove for everybody watching right now. Right. We were doing it because we wanted to, we wanted to get a buzz up and get our name up. We were kids. We didn't have money to, to get on these mixtapes. So we had to do what we had to do to get our name up in the streets. And that's what we did. So the name Renegade was buzzing in the streets. The name Murder Mook and Jay Mills and Rex, they name were buzzing in the streets from battling. And we wanted to get record deals because we figured if we get a record deal, we'll be straight for the rest of our lives. Mm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's what happened. All right. So basically, you guys are out there. Was it like, 
Let's talk, like, how was the format of the battle? Like, like, even back then, like, this was just, was it freestyling? Was it, like, written? Uh, no, like... Written, written rhymes. Written rhymes. We would have about 10 to 15, maybe even 20 rhymes memorized. And we would go and spit these 20 rhymes back to back to back to back. One done, you go, I go. And so whoever stopped was the loser. Mm. Was whoever it... ran out first. Yep, whoever ran out first was the loser. So, I mean, not to, like, just run it down, but, like, this is so interesting to me, right? Because I know a bit, it's easier to learn about 2010 Battle Rap because you can just watch that. This shit is, like, okay, we're talking, like, the, the beginnings of a lot of people. Like, Iron Solomon's the guy I've talked to, so it's, like, so fucking cool to get, like, a little insight into, like, this world more. Um, like, so you guys are, uh, is it, like, an organized thing in the sense that y'all was, like, you knew what you were doing collectively working together to, like, build up something? Or was it more random than that? It was more visceral and random. You know, I saw I Solomon. first of all, I Solomon, he was he was a, a living legend. To the point he was such a living legend, it felt like he was an urban myth. Because this guy was he just wouldn't lose. He couldn't lose. You know, he was that good. And, you know, we were just going from block to block, from city block to city block from street to street battling, just whoever whoever would accept the challenge. Mm. So it wasn't regulated by any league or any format or any business, anything like that. It was more so visceral, random. Think think if you ever seen the movie The Warriors, that's literally what it was like. Okay. Literally was like Warriors and it was literally forty sec it was it was the it was always the major wherever Wherever there were a lot of young black and brown people congregating in the city. So it would be like 42nd Street, 14th yep. Street, Union Square, uh, yep. West 4th Street. Um, yep. Those are like the three main pockets that like you would catch guys either battling or trying to like get their mixtape off. You know, like it's... Yep. It's where everybody goes because that's where a majority of tourists and you know people from the city that are like looking to like have a good time are all hanging out so it's right. like it's really really helpful believe it or not for you to say all this to me because a lot of times i hear people say stuff like on the facebook like yo the streets is how it pops off and that doesn't mean a lot to me as a person who's never really been in the streets but as you describe this kind of stuff, especially with the era you're doing it, right? Like this is when we was mm -hmm. all in, I was in high school at this point. So like, um, like it really adds a lot of context to how like my older peers think. And it's, it's really helpful. So I just want to thank you for dropping these knowledge nuggets on us like this and answering these questions. Cause yo, it's such a pleasure to pick your brain like this. Absolutely. Anytime. Um, all right. So you're, you're you said, uh, you went through the whole thing with the, the 2003 and then in 2004, your battling is happening. And then you said your story continues at that point. Yes. Yeah, so you know, 2004, you know, I'm just, this is still a hobby for me. Um, and then 2005, a very pivotal moment happens. My brother comes up from Houston and he's staying with me at, at my crib in, in Harlem. And then I have a double date from black planet black planet was a social networking site okay and my my brother dates uh who is now my personal assistant and i was dating her friend and we go and i'm rhyming in the car this is a first date i'm rhyming in the car all night and then we go 
and we see Nelly outside of a club. Okay. And I step out of the car. They were like, yo, go rhyme for Nelly. And I step out of the car, me and my brother, and I go up, and I'm nervous as hell. I go up to Nelly, and I don't even rhyme. I just say, yo, one day we're going to work together. And then I go back into the car. That's how nervous I was. And the girl, Lakita Steele, she was like, I want to introduce you to somebody. And she introduced me to Saint of GFC New York. And we started GFC New York that following week. What in is GFC New York? God, family, and culture. Uh, it's a consulting firm. So we'll, we'll get into that later on in the, in the interview. But, you know, basically we we did marketing for Nipsey Hussle, Big Crit. Okay. Um, okay. Myself, FKI, Black, who spells his name with a six, Rory. Um, the list goes on and on and on. ASAP Rocky. I've heard cetera, of all cetera, these names. That was a really good yeah. list of names you gave. Yeah, we, we basically did the marketing for these guys. So we start GFC New York and we decided that I was going to be the lead artist off of GFC New York. I was going to blend everything together. Now, at this time, I was wearing, mind you, this is 2004, 2005. So I was wearing, we go back into fashion. I was wearing Pradas. I was wearing Dunks. I was wearing Rock and Republic denim. I was wearing True Religion denim. I was wearing Seven Jeans. This is before everybody was doing any of that stuff. Because everybody and their mother was baggy. Every human being was baggy. So we was doing skinny jeans and these and this fashion stuff. So we started a, a magazine called Laced Magazine, which was about sneaker culture. And I was the first I was the first artist, and we and that's when we decided to change my name from Renegade to Mickey Fax. And the name Mickey Fax came from Natural Born Killers, Mickey and Mallory. So mm -hmm. I took the name Mickey, and then I wanted to only talk about facts, but I spell it with a Z because I was fashion forward and I thought facts look cooler than just F-A-C-T-S. It does. So, so from there, we sampled N-E-R-D, and that's that was the first project that I put out as Mickey Fax. Yeah, that project is pretty uh, awesome. Also, Mickey Fax was pretty forward thinking from like um, an SEO equity point of view because had you put the S, you would have had a lot more competition just off the jump. There right. was going to be dudes named Mickey who wanted to be Mickey Mr. Fax, you know? But by adding that Z actually like helped your future self out in my opinion. So that's fucking fire thinking. In terms of algorithm too and in Googling, when I Google Mickey, if I Google Mickey Fax with an S, you get Mickey Mouse Fax. Yeah. So like if you if you Google it with a Z, you get me. Um so that's dope though. I really appreciate that. That's really smart. Like I'm an internet guy, so that shit is fire to me. When I hear that, I'm like, oof, this guy's smart. You know, it's just like it's important stuff. Um but let's talk about that like that first tape because I mean I listened to it in full. It touches on a lot of powerful concepts and that was really interesting to me. Um, everything about it from a lyrical thing, listening to it in 2021, it felt timeless. And I don't say that lightly. I say that like I, you could have released that today and there's almost nothing on that album that like would be weird 
you know like you know what i mean like when people kind of drop certain references and stuff that really like date it to a point where it's like okay you can definitely tell now nah, you had that like more timeless element plus with the music i mean it's dope everybody likes nard it's hard to like not but i could tell you though the whole time i was looking forward to rockstar posers which on the youtube playlist i found i had it on it it was like deep on it so the whole time i'm like oh my gosh because yo that shit that was my shit when i'm young that shit's so fucking cool Yo, it's amazing. It did not disappoint. That was my favorite track off the album. Absolutely. But yo, thank you. Tell us about that project, like a little bit more detail, because it sounds amazing. I know I read somewhere that you put a lot of effort into chopping up the beats to make it sound like distinct. Like you put work into that shit to catch Pharrell's attention. Yeah, so I we chopped the shit out of it because there's no. I, mean, I had to buy the album, the live version, because there was two versions of uh, Fly or Die and um, In Search of. There was the live version and then there was the studio version. We bought the live version because we wanted it to sound like rock, but rap rock. Mm. And, you know, so we did that and I chopped everything up and came up with concepts, me and Steve-O, who was my A&R. And, you know, we, uh, it was a very crazy time. We just wanted to, we just wanted to put our story out there. And I remember when we, we released it, I had the military threes or no military fours before they came out. We took, did the photo shoot with the military fours. I had the, the Lamont Dolly blue and black biggie checkerboard lumberjack hoodie. I had the Dwayne Wayne flip up glasses. So, you know, we embraced being a nerd. Right. And I think that was what was different from what the Manos and the Papooses and the Saigons was doing in New York at the time. I was coming from a completely different era and area really different, completely different. That was not the norm at the time. That was, and it was, and it was not the, it was not the norm to buck the norm at that time. Like that wasn't like, that wasn't what was cool. What was co-signed, what was mm. pushed. That was not the wave back then at all. Just like, like it is now. Add to it, like not long before this era, like Riza drops his book, right? The Woo, whatever, where he's all talking about uniforms and compliance and this within his book, kind of preaching to the world the Woo way and stuff. So just to kind of add to it, even in my little discovery, I see what you're saying. Um, but yo, you know what? Like that's some forward thinking shit because I can tell you a lot of people like me bumped to that kind of style real fucking quick because it was mad relatable once we started seeing it appear in hip hop. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was an interesting time, you know, and even it's, it's crazy that Flacco actually says this because, you know, I went back to, I watched an old video of mine called Be Free. We shot it in 2004. And I uh, I, I was inspired by um, Common when he put out B. So that the clothing that I wore was representative of that. I had the Applejack hat, I had some shoes on and, it wasn't skinny jeans, it was like fitted denim though. But after that video, we have footage of me dressing how I dress now and how everybody dresses. And and this is 05. You look at uh, Lupe in 05, he was wearing big baggy denim. Mm -hmm. You wear, you see Pharrell, his was more fitted. I, I really was the first one with skinny denim on. And it was, it was really, it was really rough being that guy because nobody wanted to do that. It, you know, I was called, you know, homosexual. I was called super nerd. I was called a hipster. We stayed with it. And after a while, people copied. People copied. 
That's what the world is wearing now. All those styles. That's what Big the facts. world is wearing now. Like that's literally the, the the norm and the cool across the entire world. Yep. And I had, you know, supers, supers. I had the gold supers before Jay. I had the gold supers on when he wore them in the Rihanna video. By the time he wore them in the Rihanna video, I had already had them for like a month or two. So when Complex did a write-up on them, they mentioned me with Jay-Z at the time. Shout out to Joe LaPuma. Joe LaPuma was like, yeah, I know you guys like that them Jay-Z sneakers, the gold supers. They only made a hundred of them, but Mickey was already wearing them. And, and I had like four or five pairs of them. But that's that New York. It's that Bronx. That's that Bronx. You know what I mean? And from there, after we did the in, in search of the NERD, I put out Flashback, which was taking old school beats. And then, you know, it didn't really go over too well because no, hold people on. were... I, I read a little bit about the concept to it. I didn't hear it yet, so I didn't want to go that way. But the concept on it's fucking fire. I don't know why it didn't go over well. I guess maybe people are. But it made me want to go listen to it, and I now have it on a go check it list. I don't know if you want so, to expand on that a little bit. So so what we would what I did was I was working on flashback before in search of the NERD and it was rapping over old school beats. But my A and R was like, you just did in search of the NERD. So to do old school beats, you gotta take them to the future. So we took old school beats and I had my producer at the time precise. He would take the beats and make them sound like two thousand and seven and beyond. So we we enhance the beats to make them sound a little crazier. And if you think about how much that's done in pop music today, that's a fucking crazy yeah. thing, eh? Yeah, we were doing things that were just ahead of the curve all the time. Which leads us into Heaven's Fallout. So Heaven's Fallout was really my breakout project. And I had put out I had put out a song. I don't know if you guys ever the Geico commercial. Everywhere I go, that was the first time that they used the caveman. I sampled that song and put it on MySpace. And I started to sample music that were that was alternative music, which was basically piggybacking off of In Search of the NERD. Mm. So I sampled um, the Fallout Boys. I sampled the Arms Race, Arms the song Arms Race. Santa Cena is a god. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sampled that record, that same record. So Kanye had did a record. He had remixed it because they, because he felt like they had took the number one spot on the Billboard charts. So he remixed it with 88 keys. So I took the beat, I looped it, and I rapped over it. And when I rapped over it, Crush Management, who was managing the Fallout Boys and Jim Class Heroes, said, yo, we're going to do a remix. And we want to put you on that remix because this record, what you did to it was just as good as what Kanye did. So I went in the studio, I was in the studio, Ye had to do his verse over, so it was me, Kanye, and Travis from the Gym Class Heroes in the same studio working on this record. Yo. And I laid my verse down. So, legend, legend. And then, and, <laughs> so mind you, while we're all in the studio, Flacco, while we're all in the studio writing our verses, Kanye reciting his verse, redoing his verse over, Lil Wayne sends his verse in. I ain't even know, and this is Wayne in 07, 08. Oh my Wayne. God, no, that was right That was right before he did the um, the Gym Class remix then, right? Yes, right before he did the Gym Class remix. So Wayne sends his verse in. 
So now I'm again, this is before I went to this is before I went to China too. So this is me. So this is me, an unknown artist, putting music on MySpace, working with Kanye West, the gym class heroes, Fallout Boys. I was hanging out with Pete Wentz at this point. Me and Pete Wentz is hanging out all the time. And Isn't Wayne. That when he's on like One Tree Hill too, or around that. Yep. Yep. Oh, wow. So wow. I was on that record. <laughs> and they wanted to they wanted to manage me. But we had man we had our own in-house management team. So that was our downfall. We we didn't let people in our circle. Um, so because we didn't sign with them, they signed Tiger, and then they put Ty. They took me off the. I have the original song. I still have the original song. They signed Tiger and they put Tiger on the remix, and then they add Mad People on the remix to spite me. But at first, it was just us four or five of us on that remix. That's crazy. and I still have the original song and the files from that. I'm just, and the email. I'm just like, yo, listen, I like the gym class heroes. Like, they're actually like, yo, when I really got into music, that's some shit where I geeked over them. They were like interesting as fuck. Like, you're telling me that you're like at the beginning, just right there with like fucking Travis and fucking Kanye West, who like, I like Kanye. I don't care what other people think. I think he's a fucking interesting dude. I'm like, yeah. that's some like, that's some like big nah, shit. Kanye's the guy. Like Let me I, tell you something. As long as as long as we're doing something together, Holden, there will be no Kanye blaspheme. No, I like the guy. Kanye's a huge inspiration. <laughs> no, 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 no. Kanye in 2013 said, "I'm more than just a rapper." In an interview, and that shit resonated with me so heavy that I became like a bigger entity in my own mind. And Kanye basically unlocked keys to my future and helped me see my own potential. So, like, people can say what they want about him, but I find him to be a very interesting fellow. Um. Anyway, I, that's not really here nor there. I'm still kind of like really dumbfounded about how talented you Yo, are. Yo, gym class heroes, Kanye, like crazy, like for real. Mickey that's facts. big shit, man. Like you're, and you know what? Like hearing your music from like that because I heard the NERD tape. So this is from. I can you make sense. You're you're like you're really good, dude. You're really really good. He was doing essentially. He was doing what Drake did to blow up way before. Cause that yeah. when like when Drake first, um, one of the first things that really like made me rock with Drake was that um, uh, I don't know how you pronounce her name, but Leaky Lakai Lee, like like Lee, like, like Lee, like Lee, yeah, yeah, like Lee. When he remixed her track, I was just like, oh, this is dope. Okay. And he did that a few times. Like it wasn't just her. Like Drake has, I mean, actually, he's continued doing that throughout his career. You know what I mean? And you were doing that on MySpace, B. Dude, man, that's, like, incredible, Mickey. Like, that's why I love this show, because we get to learn this kind of stuff. Like, I'm into history. I want to know who did what proper. Like, that's just the facts of a situation. I'm not into, like, the, the more mainstream stuff. It's hard to find truth. So talking to you and seeing your significance is pretty incredible. Like, I'm a little, like, dumbfounded in, like, the best possible way, because you're so humble about it. That's the part that makes you truly incredible. You're not like cocky. You're not like sitting here being like I'm the shit about not to it. Be. But man, like I try not to be, man. And it makes it enlightening, man. People in the comments is really enjoying your stories, man. Like people fucking like that. That was cool. Yeah, I mean to to speak to um the fact that he uh he's humble, right? It'll answer 
posted that he remembers that Mickey Fax was on MySpace trending for giving a homeless man a pair of expensive shoes, then putting a new pair on. Oh, man. Fire emojis. <laughs> yeah, mean? I remember that. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. Gave a homeless man sneakers and then put a brand new pair of sneakers on. And the sneakers that I gave him up. were brand new. You did that before it became a cash cow on YouTube? He yes. did it on MySpace. Yeah. yeah. You got to yeah. understand how many millions and millions of dollars were made copying that idea. I mean, that's this is what the, this is what I used to do, bro. We used to come up with these ideas and 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 just do them. We didn't, and it's documented. So I, I'm just glad that it's documented for people to see what we were doing before people were doing it. Yo, that is amazing. I'm I'm really impressed. Like that is some amazing shit. Like I th I knew you were gonna be an impressive guy. I didn't realize you were gonna be like knocking it out the park, and you're like still in two thousand five, six, whatever, earlier days. You know, like. That's fucking crazy. I'm, uh... Yeah, brother. Wow. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for, like, taking the time to, like, fucking share this, though. For real. Like, that is really cool of you. Um, Thank you. Thank you. So, what, I guess what happens after you make the this next part... This song happens, or doesn't happen, sorry, I should say. What happens next for you, then? So, now that I'm not on the record, um, we're like, well, what's next? <laughs> What do we do next to 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 make a big uh, splash in the industry? And I was like, "Shit, I don't know." We had, we had just came back from uh, China, and we we made the super song when how I did, came how home. How did you from get China. the China thing to happen? How did that happen? So they reached out to my assistant, who it was Fader Fader. J Fader, Fader Japan. We did a we did a photo shoot for Fader Japan, and then it got in the hands of MTV China, and MTV China wanted to fly me and four of my friends out, put us in five star hotels, and perform for MTV China. So that's what we did in 2007. When we came home, whenever you get off tour, it's like, what's next? After you get off tour, it's like, all right, what's next? What do you do next? And we, we didn't know what we wanted to do next. So January 1st came around and my A&R, Steve-O, he was like, yo, let's put a song out today. I was like, all right. And so I gave him a song and he put it out. Put it on MySpace. Following week, he did the same thing. Yo, let's put another song out. I was like, yo, we just put a song out, bro. He's like, no, 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 we gotta put another song out. Let's put another song out. And he just, I was like, all right, I gave him a song. Then the following week, he was like, yo, gotta put another song out. And I was like, yo, relax, we holding on. I'm, I like, at that time, I like to hold on to music and wait for the deal and wait to get a record deal. He was like, nah, let's not wait for the record deal. Let's just put the shit out. So he puts another record out. And then he was like, yo, I want you to record to this record and we could put it out this week. And I was like, yo, you putting out too much music. Mind you, this is 2008. People were still not, they were not putting out music on the internet at this rapid rate. They were not like, mm -hmm. how are we doing it now? That was not a thing. That was not a thing. The only person who was putting music out every week was Crooked Eye. He was putting out a freestyle over other people's freestyle. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I put out a song. I was the first person to put out a song every single week. And I did that. And when I did that, all hell broke loose. All hell broke. People were like, yo, this kid is putting out a song every single week. It was unheard of. And then I had the song with the cool kids, rocking and rolling. 
We had Cuddy in the video. We had Vashti in the video. We had the kids in the hall in the video. We it was it was, it was we, in the were hall. we were representing New York to the fullest. Let's let's be let's be let's let's be you want to be honest. Let's be clear. Yes. Getting back on the fashion tip. Let's do it. Back on the fashion tip. Mikey from the from the cool kids. He had on my man's troop jacket, right? And then I was the first human being to ever wear hood by air and have it air anywhere. That wow. shirt I had on in that rocking and rolling video was hood by air. I was the first. What person year is to wear that? 2008. Jeez. Yo, that's like. I don't know what that means fully, but I appreciate six years that something. Before, that's like six years before Rocky. What's Hood by Air? By it's Air a label. A, uh, it's a fashion house. It's a fashion house label that people just fell in <laughs> love with. You know what I'm saying? Um, because ASAP Rocky, he made it even more popular. But I wore it first in 2000. Six years before. Mm. Uh, 2008, I had it on before him. That's amazing. Um, so, mind you, you know, I'm putting out a song every week. I'm putting out a song every week. Then, um, Omen, he reached out to me and was like, yo, I want to put you on a record. I wanna, I'm want i putting out a song, and I want you to be one of the artists that's on the record. I was like, all right, cool. He, uh, I was like, who else is on the record? He was like, I got this, this Canadian kid. Nobody really ever heard of him. His name is Drake. We want to put him on the record, too. And he was like, yo, can you get Travis from the gym class heroes? Cause he, he had already know I was working with him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can get Travis on the record. So he sends me the record with Drake doing the chorus and the verse. Mind you, nobody knows who Drake is at this point. I'm like one of the biggest up and coming hip hop artists in the game. So I'm like, oh, Drake, this chorus is fire. His verse is fire. I'll put a verse on it. I'll put a verse on it. So at first it's only us two on the record. Then I call up Travis. I'm like, yo, Travis, my man want to get you on the record. He was like, bet, because it's you, I'll do it. So we get Travis on the record. And then we put the record out maybe in June of that year. And that was, if you can go on now, right, right now. Yeah, now nah, that been- record, that record was a, was a big, that was like a, it was like, that was like a co-sign for Drake at the time, a big one, because it was like Mickey was definitely buzzing hard and Travis and and uh, Travi was like uh, he was gym class heroes. You know what I mean? He was a like, star. He was a star. He was a star. He was already he already had um, Cupid's arrow, if I'm not mistaken. It's uh, uh, overdose yeah. is what yeah. it's called, I believe. Drake. Overdose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I found yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. If you go on, if you type nawright.com, the post because nawright was literally where you found all your music. Yep. If you go there and you type in goingnotright.com and then in the search engine you put an overdose on life, you will see what it says. Our the golden the blog Golden Boy Mickey Fax taps in star Travis McCoy from Gym Class Hero and some Canadian kid rapper. Yeah, that's, that's literally what it says. Cause nobody knew who he was. That's amazing. And, yeah, so you know, and at this point now, I'm in every magazine. Every month I go to the, the newsstand, I'm in the magazine. So I was I was in Fader, I was in URB, I was in Spin, I was in Rolling Stone, I was in Billboard. Hip-hop got to me late. I, I, the last magazines that I was in was The Source and the Double XL. I was, a, I, was a, I was an international artist before I was anything. Like, the city still didn't accept me. I wasn't on New York radio, but I had a huge fan base. I was selling out venues whenever I performed. 
I went to South by Southwest. I had the rocking and rolling video on YouTube on on um on uh MTV Jams. I was like number one, number two on MTV Jams for weeks at a time. No record deal, yeah. no nothing. You know, yeah. and I had records with Cuddy. I did a record with Cuddy. I had did I it was just it was just mad shit. So finally, around July, the source called me and says, yo, we want to put you in the magazine. I said, okay. So I was an unsigned hype in the source. After every magazine already had me, then the then XXL called me and put me in the show and prove section. And then I was in I was in another piece of the magazine for another interview. And then they called me on my birthday and said I was going to be on the XXL cover, which is right here. Yeah. Now that that cover is that cover is like that's one of those covers that's that's a that's a a monument in hip hop. Like that's the I was just telling I was just having a conversation with a couple OGs, right? That like they're the ones that like, you know, taught me the freestyle type shit and I was giving them their flowers for, you know, what they did for me. And we were talking about freshman classes. And I was explaining to them that really the first freshman class that everybody thinks of is Mickey's freshman class. Though, that's not actually the first freshman class ever. Like, right. they had one before them with uh, Papu. I think Papu was in it. Saigon was definitely in it. Lupe was in it, I think. Yep, right? Yep, 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 and then yep. before that class, actually, the source had the first ever freshman class. With like Peter Guns, DMX, Cameron, Nori, a bunch of cats back then. Pun, pun, cannabis. Yeah, pun. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That was the but but Mickey's class, right? It shows you how impactful that class was. That it was that cover is really like a, a monument in hip hop. There's certain covers, and that's one of them for sure. I can tell you, I've definitely seen it before. It's uh, something that was yeah. significant because, you know, I'm on the uh, the age group that was like in like, I guess the your equivalent of college around that time. Right. So like I'm, I'm mm -hmm. all on YouTube. We're all talking about whatever. Like there's a good chance that a younger me did know about you. And I just don't remember it at this time because of like, the, the, the era that you were in. Right. Like that was kind of my inception to Internet culture at that time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was at the forefront of it. It's a, it, yeah. So we were, you know, we were, uh, we were sampling different records and I was everywhere, man. I was on MTV all the time. I was on BET all the time. I was, it was, it was just a, it was a great, great situation. And I was poor. Like I was piss poor. I was the flyest, poorest dude in the universe at that point. And I was getting clothes for free. I was going to events just to eat. I didn't have a place to stay. I was sleeping on couches, all types of wild shit. And then at the end of 2008, I got, um, I went to a casting call for the Honda commercial, for Honda. Honda wanted a spokesman from hip hop to be their spokesman for the 2009 Honda Accord. So I went to the interview, I did it and I got the job. And my first time going to LA was to shoot a commercial. So I had a chair just like this with my name on the back of it. I had my own trailer. I had a makeup artist. And, you know, they paid me to do the music. They paid me to be in the commercial. And that was my first time making some big, big money, you know, aside from, you know, the shows that I was doing at the time. And then, you know, that was the start of 
the brand again, restarting it over. And then <laughs> like my commercial was playing all the time. I made a lot I remember of that commercial. I was about to say, I remember that commercial airing all the time. I remember it being on current. I don't know if you remember this network on TV. It was on uh, like Dish. I think I had, um, what's the other satellite uh, thing called, uh, network called, I forget, um, DirecTV. Uh, I had that and they had a channel called Current. I think it was um, Al Gore that was behind it on the Mm. low. But it was like a really like, you know, like essentially what Vice is now, but without like so much of the edgier stuff, you know what I mean? But they were really like pushing like that ad ran on their channel religiously back then. That's crazy. Religiously. Between every show, between every little thing that they were doing, they were running that commercial. I remember that was like, yo, that was right before the achievement well, right before Paradise came out, right? Yes, yes, yes. Right before Paradise came out. So I was on yeah. Current, I was on MTV, I was on BET, I was on Fuse. It was a cable commercial and it aired a lot. And then I, you know, I went on the Rock the Bells tour, toured with them, and came home and prepared for 2010. And I went to, I, I saw the world. You know, I went to, I went to Toronto, I went to Japan, I went to England, I went to Jamaica, Puerto Rico, performed. I went to New Orleans, and I seen the whole country basically performing. You know, just spreading that. From from the Mickey the Mickey Fax brand all throughout the country and the world. Yo, question on my part, out of my curiosity, when you traveled to a lot of those places, did you get to like explore on your own time? So, uh, yes, and and not 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 when I traveled overseas. So when I went to Japan and England, it was it was a little brutal only because. I was touring in between with Rock the Bells, which was weekend shows. Right. So I had, I had did DC, I had did like Philly and I had did New York and DC with Rock the Bells. And then I flew out to to Japan that Monday and it was an 18 hour flight. So I got to Japan like Tuesday night. So really I slept. So that Wednesday I had the show with Lupe Fiasco Wednesday night, and then I had an extra day in in Japan. So I, I explored a little bit in Japan that extra day, and then I had to fly out Friday to get to Rock the Bell Saturday in LA. So I got to Rock the Bell Saturday in LA, flew to uh, flew to uh, San Francisco Sunday to do the show, and then flew fly to London to do my set in London. I got it. I got a question about that. <laughs> There's a lot, man. I mean, first of all, that's huge. I mean, I don't know how you sit for so long. <clears throat> that sounds like that sounds a lot. So actually, my question is, what do you do on the plane? That's a lot of flying. What do you do when you're on a plane? How do you spend your time? At that time, uh, I bought comics with me. So I would bring a whole bunch of uh, anthology comics. So it would be like okay. 10 to 15 comics in one book. So I would read that. After I read it, stand up. You got to walk back and forth because you can't sit that long, you know, and then you sit back down, try to sleep, wake up, take out another book, read, read, read. You know, at that time we had iPods. So, you know, listen to music till your phone died. There was no charging on the plane. 
So you had to read. This is this this was that time, you know. And every city I went to, I would pick up another book because I knew I had a crazy flight ahead of me. That the Japan flight was like eighteen hours, and then to fly from San Francisco to to London, that was like a that was like a thirteen hour flight. So I had to I had to buy I had to stock up on books. Yeah, that is. So and when cool. I and when I went and, and Flago, when I went to when I went to Japan. Big O from Phenomenon Swagger, they had the MCM license. So when I went to Japan, they had all MCM everywhere. So when I went, I took mad MCM and brought it back to NY. So I was the only nigga in New York City at the time wearing MCM. MCM. Before, years before it came back. Because MCM, after Dapper Dan stopped, after that era ended, MCM went away hard in yes. New York. It's it, it almost had like what I tell people like Armani is. Like whenever I see the homies in Armani, I'm like, yo, you look like a European fan that's not popping out here anymore right it's now. Right? It's, it's just one of those labels. And MCM went through that for a while. And then it wasn't until like recent years, like the, what, what like 2010s maybe? Like... That they made a resurgence. Yeah, you're muted now. You're muted, Mick. Yeah. My fault. I said I had it in 09. Yeah, so they had it in like 2011, 2010. Because only only Japan had the license at the time. Crazy. So they had mad MCM. I had wallets. I had book bags. I had hoodies. I had all types of shit. And then after a while, it's just like, I just gave it away. I just gave, you know, it's like, whatever. You know, and then at that point in 2010, 2010 was when I, I decided to stop wearing Supras. And then that's when I got into Y3. And I, I had Y3, I had Y3 pieces here and there, but in 2010 was like, okay, I'm going to wear Y3 only from here on out. So that's my whole why. collection is Y3. Yeah, nah. I don't, I don't care. Like, you got to understand that for you, that's like this makes total sense to me for me i'm like why i don't i don't fully so, understand all of this so y3 is a, is an adidas brand created by uh yoji yamamoto he's a japanese uh designer and they collaborated to create this this product now the reason why i chose y3 to be the only kind of clothing that i wore is because Y3 is always ahead of the curve when it comes to fashion. That's one. Two, it, it's couture clothing. It's a, it's a little, it's not super expensive like a Gucci or a Louis. It's affordable, but it's not affordable for some people. And three, it's obscure. A lot of people don't know about it. So if you're wearing it, you 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 it's all facts. You, you fire. And yeah. they and and lastly, if you don't get a piece from if you don't get a piece from that collection in that season, you'll never get it because mm. they don't make, they don't restock, they don't resell anything. Yeah, no, they don't, they don't do that. They, they for the, the, I think the only um, people I ever seen carry Y3 outside of uh, their stores is um, the Century 21 stores in Manhattan. You know what I mean? And Century 21. Is like they carry like uh, 
uh, high-end European brands, uh, really expensive brands. You know what I mean? So like, right. and it, it's it's still more like it's not it's not like you know uh, TJ Maxx. You know what right. I mean? Like they carry like the highest of the brands. You know? No, I can't. Right, 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 right. <clears throat> so uh, yeah, uh, sorry about that. I had to. Uh, Get some. I had to send my wife's uh, no photo of her project dropping to her. So apologies for that. Yeah, if it's all right with you, can I just take two seconds to run to the washroom right quick? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. just keep this running. Now, yeah, the Y3 thing, by the way, is like, like that's a. It makes sense for you too because, like you said, right? You were already rocking what everybody's rocking now. Then. Right? What were we talking about? Like oh six, you said. So like, you're you're in tech gear before everybody else is running to you know what I mean to Nike and to all these other brands, which is recent. That's a very recent thing. Like it's not even like a a very old thing. Like that's a thing that's still right now. Essentially, the temperature of New York City and how everybody dresses. You know what I mean? In the day-to-day right now, 2021. Right. And I, I didn't even realize that I could have been, I could have, uh, and I feel bad, I could have been putting up backgrounds for all of this stuff. Because I have pictures from all of this stuff. So I could have been, you know, posting all kind of footage and just to, you know, show people what it was. Right? Side with it, bro. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm I'm looking at photos so I could post up my photo. Oh, where, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, just so we could kind of get some yeah, some yeah. background knowledge of what was going on. Um, so give me one second. So this, ah, so I'm about to post some some foot some stuff. So this is me in Japan. Yo, you in? You're muted, bro. You're muted. That's you. Oh, my fault. That's you. Lupe, um, who's that? Uh, wait. Uh, yeah, that's Dame. That's Damon. That's Damon. He's a fashion guy. He was like the Warhol of the the downtown scene. Let me get out the way. And that's a DJ. I forgot shorty name, but that's us in Japan. Yeah, that's fucking you know I mean? cool. Uh, yeah, I could do this all damn day. B. like, I have so many photos to just kind of confirm everything that we're saying today just in you know just in case people uh, yeah out of pocket I mean, with their vocals. you could feel free too i'm pretty sure the people would love and appreciate that um, yes but we know i know for a fact that you know what i mean like everything you're speaking is these are pure 100 unadulterated facts i've watched the journey on my own i was as you know like to to like like to co-sign everything with that mickey's saying is like i know that it's true because I, like Mick, was one of those guys in New York City that was bucking the norms amongst his circle of friends. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And in bucking those norms, I'm paying attention and seeing Mickey making these moves musically. You know what I mean? Like, right. And I'm seeing, I'm paying attention to everything that he's doing. He's on, I'm what I, that's the magazine at, at that point in 2000s. That's the, those are the magazines that I'm reading. I'm looking at Fader. Because Fader was one of those magazines that was at the yeah. cutting edge. Like they were they were paying attention to hip hop acts that the source and double XL was not paying attention to. The temperature was starting to change. The culture was starting to change. And and the, the beginning of the internet 
really taking over as far as like what media like people in New York City, right? We we had a cobra clutch on hip hop for so long. That's why guys like um Flex and uh Hot 97, they felt how they felt for a very long time, which is a very like number one attitude. So it's like we're number one. We don't have to acquiesce to artists. Artists have to acquiesce to us. We break artists. We make people famous. So people need to be appreciative of us. And at that point, they that that run of that them doing that in the 90s was coming to a complete halt and stop in the 2000s. And right. it was because everything was headed to the internet. And they were not, you know, they were they were holding on to FM radio and they were not like, you know, at the cutting edge. And so a lot of acts like Mickey and all these guys, and that's why I think that double XL cover is so celebrated because it's the first like really like people, artists getting on through these other avenues and not through the traditional avenues that people had gotten on through before. Right. So like where the, where, where the freshman cover before them existed and you had Lupe Fiasco on it and Saigon on it and all these guys on it, those guys still got broke through traditional methods, through these Hot 97s, through these particular DJs on these big mix shows and through those avenues. And now this next class that came with Mickey and Corey and Blue and all these guys, it's like Kid Cudi, you're, you're, you're having a new class breaking out in new ways and getting discovered in other ways that don't have to do with like the traditional print media and press radio of like Hot 97 and Power and like Source and Double XL. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have these, 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 this, 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 this freshman class that's leading the forefront of like, you don't got to do it that way anymore. We're doing it a whole new way. And that is essentially the way that everything gets done right now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. that's true eh? because like i mean i can kind of co-sign that idea as well because i'm like the first consumer of that era like for real like where the my group of people is like the ones that was all jumping on that and making it go viral and whatnot back in the day that's mm -hmm. pretty crazy um man it's, it's like I, I love the fact that like we can have conversations like this and i know that there is so much more to come like we're we're, we're at the beginning like, you know, you know how big your Spotify is compared to other people? I'm certain you know how big it is. But I was scrolling through your appears on section. And it might be currently the biggest appears on section I've seen across Spotify, at least since I've been paying attention. It's crazy. I've, I've, I do a lot of work, man. You know, I got to pay the bills. And am I frozen? No, you're good. Okay, cool. You know, I got to pay the bills. The bills got to get paid, and I'm willing to work with any and everybody. So I'm one of those guys that could just just sit down and write a rhyme in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and it'll be just as far as somebody taking, you know, a week to write a rhyme. You know? right. That's just how I give it up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think we're like half we, – I don't even think we're halfway through the story. Which is I dope. mean, we're in 2010 now. We're in 2010 now, and I do another project called Alpha. Um, and this is like before Yeezus. So if you listen to uh, Dark Phoenix Alpha, you'll be like, wow, this predates Yeezus. <laughs> like, it, like by, at least about three or four just, years. I have a quick question before we, we continue that. You 
on your current YouTube channel, which I'll link and y'all should go subscribe to, you broke down that heavens on, I don't remember the name of it, but the heaven, is that the project that you were describing previously that you were just reacting to on your own YouTube channel? And I don't say yeah, that yeah, in yeah. a negative way. I say it like you're the first guy that I've seen go through his own music like that. And I'm like, yo, that's something people should actually do more of. And I, and that's like just something that you're doing right now. But you touched on that project and you and if people want to know more about it, they can, you know, fucking throw that on right now. And well, not right now, yeah. but like in the near future and check it out. Yeah, I did that. Um, I have a Patreon and, and one of my fans who um, purchased one of the <laughs> biggest tiers. He's like, yo, break down Heaven's Fallout for me, please. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, I broke it down. Um, but yeah, so Dark Phoenix Alpha, that came out New Year's Day to 2010. And that predates Jesus. If you listen to it, like I sampled um, Amadeus Phoenix and I sampled Justice. And the sounds, the sound of it basically sounds like Jesus <laughs> from Ye. Um, and a lot of people, when they heard that album, they was like, yo, this sounds like Nicki's project. You know what I mean? Um, then four months later, I finally do my record deal. I signed with uh, Jive Records and Battery, Jive Battery Records, and I put out Paradise. And Paradise was my first single ever on a major label. And, uh, you know, we did a million views in a week on YouTube. I was one of the first artists. If I wasn't the first, I was like the second artist ever on Vivo. Um, and they, they pushed that shit crazy. Um, yeah, then I did uh, BET Hip Hop Cypher that year. Uh, me and Big Sean went on tour. We did a Southern Texas tour. It was real dope. Um, came back uh, 2011. Did a project called Love Lust Lost, which was a, just a female relationship project. You know, one of the just projects that just focused on relationships and how they make you feel. Um, and then going into 20, I'm still signed at this time. I do a record with Marsha Ambrosia. I do a record with Yellow Wolf. The yeah. Marsha Ambrosia record came out called For the Culture. Um, and when they were just about to go to radio for that record, Jive Folds. And when Jive Folds, people think I, I lose my deal, but I it, I didn't actually lose my deal. I got moved and got another deal with RCA. So everybody that was on Jive got either moved to Epic or RCA. And if you weren't good you got dropped i did not get dropped i had got another deal with rca records that's so nice i, I didn't even actually know that and that's actually a norm that's the way that it is in the industry when record labels fold they other the other it's not really a folding they just get inherited by another label that's right. why like the music industry used to be like the big uh I, I believe when the music industry first started it was six major record labels yes. you know what i mean like it was a big number then it turned into like the, the big five, then the big four. And like now I think it's like down it's like to like the big, the big three. three. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the big three now. Yeah. So we got consolidated. I got moved over to RCA. And I had an AR. My whole team that signed me to Jive was no longer behind me. So I had a whole brand new team. It was a very difficult time for me. So around that time, you know, I got co-signed by Swiss and Janelle Monet. And I put out my project, Mickey Mouse which was about a graffiti artist in the 1980s um, who, you know, was mentored by Andy Warhol, Basquiat, and Keith Haring. Mind you, this is before niggas <laughs> is talking about art. And I did a whole project chronicling 
New York City in the 1980s from a perspective of someone in downtown in that time frame and based in the art realm. It was the first of its kind. Um, and when I did that, it was co-signed by everybody. Everybody loved that project, called it, a, it's a cult classic to this day. Lupe called it one of the greatest projects ever released. Swiss Beach said this is a magnificent work of art and Janelle Monet was like, this is unbelievable. Those are some big names, like some serious names. Huge names, huge names, serious names. Like serious these are names. people- Janelle Monet like... co-sign is not like, Janelle Monet co-sign is not like, you know, a dime a dozen. Janelle Monet right. doesn't like, you know, she she's not, she's not. Look, Janelle Monet is one of the first people to work with Puff and like really make Puff take that back seat. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Yep. Janelle Monet is a strong black woman. You know what I mean? Like, so like yep. to be like praised by her, it's like, yo, it says something. It says a lot. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I got stories for days, but I, I kind of want to, you know, keep pushing forward. I ain't even get a chance to talk about when I met Pharrell, when I met LL Cool J. Like I could, I mean, we'll be here want, all night. If we could talk about the Pharrell one though. That sounds real cool. People, Pharrell's like everybody loves Pharrell. Okay, so we'll I'll touch on the Pharrell thing real quick. So back to insertion to NERD. So when that project came out, it was a very very big deal on MySpace, and it got to Pharrell, and. When it got to Pharrell, I heard through the grapevine that he loved the project to death. So he was getting ready to do the Dawn the Dark tour with Kanye, Rihanna, Lupe, and NERD. So they put out a mixtape. They put out an official mixtape. <laughs> it's still crazy to me to this day for this Glow in the Dark tour to promote this project. My song on that mixtape was number two, Locked Away, Nicky Fax featuring N.E.R.D. And Pharrell put it there. So fast forward to 2009, I'm on tour, I'm touring crazy. I go on a Heineken tour. I do the Heineken tour. I had a show in New Orleans. I was opening up, I see it was so crazy to even say, I was opening up for N.E.R.D. I opened up for N.E.R.D. in New Orleans. And, um, it's just a fantastic show, man. And at the end of the show, I finally get a chance to meet Pharrell. And I go up to Pharrell and I'm like, yo, man, this is a this is a dream come true for me. He's like, Mickey, I know who you are. And, you know, I made sure to put that record. I asked him, I asked him, what was your favorite song on the In Search of the NERD project? And he was like, it was locked away. And that was one of the songs I hated on the project. He was like, but I love that song because first of all, it was super obscure and I can't believe you found it. And two, you was the most honest on that record. You know, you were being yourself. You was a free artist on that. So that's why we decided to put it number two on the Glow in the Dark mixtape. And I was like, what the fuck? Crazy. 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 But even that's like a great. By the story. way, being on the Glow in the Dark mix tour, like what? Like, bro, who else was on that tour? It was you, Kanye, Lupe, Rihanna. Woo! That's big. Bruh. But you know what's Bruh. really interesting about what you just said beyond what you, what Flacco's hyping up, which thank you, Flacco. It is a big thing to point out. But it's that he chose that song for the reasons he chose it. And I think a lot of us get weirded out about those moments where we expose ourselves and act a little free and we kind of shy away from it 
but then if Pharrell's saying that's the shit, you know, I mean, if Pharrell's Pharrell, so, like, we should all probably listen to what he cares, not to say, like, fully, but, you know, his advice probably counts for more than most people's, so, like, that's an interesting knowledge nugget, I think you just squeezed in out of that story, that's kind of why I like the, the stories, it's not about, like, the name drops, it's because usually people remember the, really significant things from that that we can all learn from. And take from, right. So, so 2012, I realized, you know, after I put out this cult classic and called it to the internet, uh, Mickey Mouse, the label didn't get behind it. So I went up to my aunt and I was like, yo, it's time for my walking papers. It's time to go. This was around my birthday. So I left the label. I, I retained all my masters. I retained everything because I didn't take a big deal when I signed up front. I took a smaller deal. So I was able to recoup all that money. Um, so in 2013, you know, I ain't gonna lie, I was depressed. I signed to a, a, a indie label through Universal Records. Um, and I got a very small advance, like a super small advance. I think it was like maybe like a $5,000 advance. It was very small, it was an indie label. And we started working on a project, The Achievement. So in that project, the Yellow Wolf record, Zen, was the first single. I had a single with Yellow Wolf. And I then went on tour with Lupe Fiasco. We did another tour. We did about 30, 45 dates. And I had a manager at the time who kept all the money. So when I was done, I didn't have any money and I had 414 in my bank account. And after having 90,000 in the bank. So I quit. I retired from music um, in 2013, at the end of 2013. So 2014 comes around. I had a couple of obligations that I had to finish doing shows and some features that I had to finish out. And then, you know, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, I, I started looking for jobs, but I couldn't find the work because I had no work experience in the past 10 years. This is 2014. So I had had work experience since 2006. So that was like eight years. Nobody wanted to hire me. Even though I ran a company and I, I hired other people, <laughs> I made hundreds of thousands of dollars. I couldn't get no job nowhere, even with my experience. So I went back to music and I started churning out music again. I was retired for four months and I put out 740 Park Avenue after watching a documentary about the richest pl place in New York City where people live. And I based the project around that. And then I kept going from that point forward. I put out Y3, the mixtape. After that, next year, the following year, worked with Elzai and Saha uh, the Prince and Tony Williams. I've listened to that one. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Then the following year, I did a just distro deal with Soul Spasm. And I put out The Achievement, which is my debut album. And we charted number nine on um, the iTunes charts. And that was a big deal for me because it was all produced by Knots and I got a chance to work with a lot of MCs from Blue to Royce to Five Nine, Styles P, uh, Fonte from Little Brother, uh, Currency, Mac Wilds, Smoke Dizza. I worked with a lot of guys and the album did really well. And then 2017, we put out the deluxe album with Farrell Monch on it. And I just, you know, just continued to expand my, um, my feature catalog and then I just kept touring 2018, same thing. I decided I wanted to go to radio stations and body them. 
because niggas wasn't doing that at that time. It wasn't a part of people's marketing plan to go up to the radio station. I, that was me. That was another thing that I did. Just went to mad radio stations with different raps. You know, so I did that. And now we're here. 20, you know, 2019 is more the same. 2020, more the same. Now we're here in 2021. It's man. Fair enough, man. I really appreciate that. Um, I really, You're a very insightful guy, though, because, like, you're more than just the music from what I saw in your, your like other interviews and stuff. You seem like you have a lot of versatile interest. And the thing you haven't really touched on throughout all of your musical career is the management stuff you said, or the okay. marketing stuff. Do you want to expand a little bit about what it is to be like in the marketing game for this? Because yo, at the end of the day, a lot of people struggle with marketing and you're evidently very good at it because as you said very earlier, um, that you started this thing. So why don't you just kind of walk us through a little bit the marketing side of your life and what that's about. <clears throat> okay, so when we started this marketing company in GFC New York, I was the first artist from the marketing side of it. So my manager and my A&R, you know, they, they specialized in marketing. And I took some, some knowledge from them as well as put input into a lot of things that we were doing. So again, this goes back to being the first we were the first we were the guinea pigs for the internet so when we were putting all of this content out nobody knew what was happening and they didn't know how i got this buzz so the buzz was so crazy that we were getting hired by labels to do marketing for them because they didn't understand the internet mm. i was hired me and my company we were hired to to, to get nipsey hustle's name out there you know what i'm saying because he was just a guy from compton you know what i'm saying Rolling 60s Crip. I remember when he first came to New York, he, was, he didn't know what was going on, but we wanted to him, we wanted to focus him on the street aspect of the internet, right? So we focused him on World Star Hip Hop, uh, hiphopgame.com and things like that. Obviously not right and things like that, but we focused, we wanted him to be involved with the street aspect of the internet. And we helped propel Nipsey to that next level when he was signed to Epic. Then we had Smoke Dizza, you know, Smoke, everybody knows who Smoke Dizza is one of those guys that was really popular. We helped do his marketing. Um, same thing with FKI, First Down, who produces for um, Two Chains. That that was another artist that we took on under the, the wing. We found Aesop Rocky and we helped do his marketing. Uh, Rory, who was another great artist from down south, we, we took him up and we, we took his stuff. Black, whose name is spelled with the number six, we had him. Um, Drum, we we took drum and we did his marketing. You know, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Maria Harubi, uh, Mellow X. We just we found a lot of oh Stali. We, we had Stali under our logo and imprint, um, and we just wanted to focus on what people would resonate with. And as long as we understood what people would resonate with, then we were able to. Uh, gain them a fan base and make sure we strategize to make sure that they got to that next place and that next plateau. So let me ask. And then Crit too. Crit as well. Yeah, big we, we had Crit. I like him a lot. Yeah. But I have a big question then. Let's say, because um, there's a couple of people watching here who maybe don't necessarily have the best handle on marketing, you know, and they're okay. You I know, mean, mm -hmm. like people are trying to always learn. Let's say you were able to give a little bit of advice on how uh, an artist, an, an indie artist, maybe without a budget, 
could go about like getting that original grassroots understanding of their fan base in order? Well, it's definitely difficult now because the algorithms are, have changed. So the because of the algorithms, it forces you to pay somebody. You have to pay somebody. Um, but if you want to avoid paying, then the best way to market is to use Instagram Reels. And so whenever something is going, whenever something is trending on Twitter, make funny jokes about it. Okay. That's if you want to, if, if you want to go viral on Facebook, post posts that have to do with religion, politics, and music opinions. And you don't say anything. You just, you state your opinion on the initial post and then you back away and then you ask a question, you know what I'm saying? And that's how you go viral on Facebook. Yo, that's huge, man. You don't understand. A lot of people appreciate that kind of stuff. These kinds of tips are like big. I have a I have a post right now on my mate on my music Facebook uh, fan page with one million likes right now. Wow! And it was reached by ten million people, and I only commented one time, and that was the first post. That was the, the initial post, and it was something. It was it said something. It was a religious post. It said something like. It was one of those memes. It was with Dave Chappelle and then like a white Jesus. And it was like, if you scroll past this post, you're gonna go to hell. And I was like, agree or disagree. And then I put my IG. That shit has a million likes currently right now on Facebook. With over like maybe 30, 40,000 comments with people just saying, I disagree, I agree. I never said anything. I never went onto that page to discuss anything with anybody. I just wanted the traction so people could go to my page. That's the same. That's the same uh, ideology that uh, academics ended up taking with his whole with his whole uh, posting on Instagram. Right. Yeah, you just you you cause more traffic when you when you let people engage with you. Right. That's crazy. So you know, it's a couple tips. Couple tips to get so past it, you know, some certain things. If I were to just like like attach that to a more common idiom, it's like if you just kind of like shut up and listen a bit people on the internet you know just let them talk it'll just kind of spiral out and it's almost like you talking isn't maybe the best move right because then then they take your words and you get misconstrued so i just i if i i could do something like that right now i could go and be like yo top five lyricists name your top five lyricists everybody on my page is going to comment i ain't got to say one word and it's going to gain the traction it's going to gain it because people are going people always have an opinion the internet has caused people to have opinions when they shouldn't have them. Mm. So if I that's, that's something that where we come from, that's a core, core lesson. Like we weren't allowed to, before the internet, like we weren't allowed to talk on the block until you got approved in like, you know what you're talking about. And even then you can still get checked and be like, right. what, what the fuck you just said? Nah, you right, sound exactly. stupid. Fuck out of exactly. here. Mm. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, man. So I, I actually have to step out. I appreciate that. I haven't eaten lunch or breakfast. I had these two cookies in this Chips Ahoy situation. But um, listen, Chewy, man, though. I, Chewy, though. Gotta get the chewies. Nah, I hear you, man. I just, so I just want to say thank you for coming through. Honestly, if you ever want to come back, it's always an open invitation because, yo, you're fascinating, and I bet you could just sit there and talk about any one of your stories, and it would be great. But, yo, your life is interesting. Um, 
you have a lot to offer the world and i think it's only just beginning for you like the you're gonna crush it in the next era like this next decade you're gonna crush it there's no way you're not you're too smart um i appreciate that man thank you very much i'm just glad to be here i'm glad flock will reach out to me to have me come up here i definitely would love to come back and do another interview uh i figured that this one will be more of like a quote-unquote origin story like i'm a superhero yeah. i feel like we can get into a whole bunch of different you know myriad of you are a superhero you are a superhero and i wanted to i want to make sure to give you flowers for my end you know what i mean like much much love bro for real i appreciate yeah, you know, it you know i always rock with you you know what i mean i know I've always had nothing but great things to say about you, and that's just on my own, from my own admiration. You know what I mean? Like, from one person who can recognize amongst the fog of everything, like, greatness. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you're a great person, and you've done nothing but great things. You know what I mean? For me, on my end, like, it's, like, it behooves me to always exalt and, like, give much, much flowers and love and try to, like, get other people to also understand that same thing. I truly appreciate I appreciate that, Flacco, especially coming from you. Anybody who knows how Flacco give it up, man, he's a he's a very outspoken, you know, guy, you know. So to the fact that, he is. you know, he, he, he has he has the ability to speak his mind and it's as honest and as blunt as it is. And for me to not be on the negative spectrum of that means the world to me. You know what I'm saying? I respect him a hundred thousand percent. He knows that, you know, whenever I see one of his posts, he'd be thinking I'm starting trouble, but I just be agreeing with him because I'd be feeling the same way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I hope he continues to spark controversy and spark, you know, the ideas of wanting to think outside of the box when it comes to certain things. And, you know, people might, people might think it's brash, but that's just the New York in us. And I think that's necessary in a sensitive driven era that we're in. You know, we need more voices like Flock. So I truly appreciate him for being who he is and continuing that fight that he's on. No, but even the way yeah. you just said that makes me excited to talk to you again, because I'm really like about that, you know, trying to push the boundaries of thought. And, and like that's why it's called Bridge the Gap. I mean, your story is a great, and I agree with you. This is a great foundation. There was no way I could have done a due diligence or research enough to know this kind of like trajectory of where you're at with it. I tried, I did my best, but there's just not enough time in a day to pull that off. So that's why this episode one really does work out to be like your story. And then when you come back, you know, we can get into the real stuff, what you believe and what you care about and get into yeah, the real yeah. nitty gritty of it all and understand the full character that is Mickey Fox, because I agree, you are a superhero. Yo, hip hop is like superheroes and stuff. Like it is what it is. Like the you, you created this entire universe, but it's so fascinating because your impact on the greater hip hop universe is so interesting, and you shared so much with us. And you know what? Maybe I don't know everything you said right now, but it's a lot of stuff I can look into, and that's it's what love. makes it incredible. Because everybody else is gonna be feeling the same way. They can all look into it too. And that's the beauty of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make sure that people can understand things beyond that, like, basic scope of what exists in the current, like, spectrum of things. So you coming through now, especially where we're at, man, that's huge for me. It's huge. Like, people know who you are. They don't know who I am. That's huge for me. I recognize what you're doing with your time, and I appreciate it to the bottom of my heart. So I wanted to just thank you sincerely for that. Okay, appreciate that. And two things before I go. Before I go, two things. First thing that we didn't speak about because I was trying to get through it so we could be done at four. But the first thing is last year I, I wrote a song called A minus. 
the song is about the letter A without using the letter A in any word. You know what I'm saying? So we rap about the letter A, the history of the letter A, where it came from without using the letter A in any word. So we're still pushing the boundaries of doing shit first, right? That's that Bronx shit, right? And secondly, this week, my project Hue is coming out uh, this week, which is about fatherhood, right? We're, we're rapping only about fatherhood. That's the okay. whole thing about being a black father, being having a black son. It's an audio last will and testament. In the event something happens to me, he will always be able to listen to this project and 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 know what to do. And Flacco, right? Like the inspiration for this, honestly, was my brother, you know, in, in lyricism, Chris Rivers, whose father's big pun. Right. Every time yeah. I see his every time I see his posts, I feel so bad because he he always wishes that he could hear his father's voice telling him the things that he could do. So I was like, let me do something like that for my son in the event something happens, you could always listen to something like that. Nah, that's super dope. That when you had good. said when you saw when you made the post about it saying that, I was like, bruh, like that's that's like that's smart. You know what I mean? No, but like, thank you for Brad sharing gonna that. Have that. Yeah, no, nah, thank you. If it's okay yeah. with you, and I can just get you for like one more minute, I want to just record the outro sound bit, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, let's do it, let's do it. All right, so yo, thank y'all for watching, because as much as it's dope that Mickey Fast came through, the fact is y'all are here with us, and y'all make it truly fucking dope. And if you're watching this in the future, be sure to, you know, hit the follows and the likes and all that, and then make sure to leave your comments because if he's gonna come back it's an opportunity for y'all to ask your questions and all that good stuff so on that note i just really do want to thank everyone for being here again one more time thank you again mickey facts you'll make sure to follow end of the week and support what they're doing because yo we're on their zoom and without them none of this is even possible so go make sure to show love to them as well and yeah i guess yeah, that's it appreciate you being here with us and you made it an absolutely wonderful experience Smicky, keep it locked. All right.